Deuteronomy chapter 2 from verse 24. It says, Rise ye up, take your journey, and pass over the river Anon. Behold, I have given unto I've given into thine hand Sion the Amorite, king of Hezbon, and his land. Let everybody be quiet, please. I have given into thy hand Sion the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. This is the Lord saying to the Israelites. He says, I have given you his land. And then he says, begin to possess it and to contend with him in battle. You will think that because God has given the land to him, everything will go smoothly and easily. But yet the Lord is saying here that I have given you his land. I have given you the king. I have given you his land. He says, but begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. We've been fasting for about 40 days. There are many, many things that the Lord has given unto us, given us grace given us, shown us mercy. I'm sure there's nobody in this place today that doesn't have a testimony of something God did in the past week. You know, God has been giving us things. God has been handing us things. But according to the passage we just read, God giving you is one of the things. All the time God was saying, I will give the land, or I've given you Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. God was saying it, yet you had the Evite, you had the Hittite, you had all the kind of heights, heights, heights that were there. You had the the people of Jericho, you had every one of them. Yet, the Lord was saying, I've given you the land of Canaan. One of the reasons, hmm, one of the reasons that God gives you things and still expects you to contend for those things is because those people, those people you are contending with, God uses them as preservers of what he has given you. So he gives those things to you and allows them to keep those things for you. There was a point the Lord was saying to the Israelites that yes, you have conquered a lot, but there's still a lot of land to conquer. But I'm not going to drive all your enemies out at once so that the land will not overgrow and overwhelm you. So that, the, uh, uh, you know, animals multiply faster than men most times. So the Lord was saying, so that wild animals would not overrun you in the land I've given you. So I'll be driving the enemies out small by small. So the purpose of some of the enemies that were left was that they, sh- they will keep plowing the land. They will keep tilling the land. They will keep cultivating the land while waiting for you, the person God has given, to possess it. But when God was saying, now it's time to possess, he said, begin to possess and begin to contend you will still, even though the Lord has kept that person as a, as a t- tiller of the land and as a keeper of what he has given to you, you still don't just walk in and take it. You would have to contend. Because many, many people, the, one of the challenges with men is that they don't know their role in what God has given. So if those ones accepted the fact that they were just watching over it, Imagine if the Canaanites accepted the fact that they were just watching over the land while the children of Israel were coming. Do you think the Israelites would have to kill them? Do you think there would have to be battle? But because they didn't realize that the Lord had already given out the land they were occupying, they were contending on shaky ground. 
So God was, and because I don't want to go into the history of how the, the Canaanites failed. The that's why, and then the God used the Israelites as punishment for the Canaanites. So every time the Israelites also failed, God would also use somebody else to punish them. And when that person, but the problem is when you are used as a rod of correction, <laughs> you better be straight. And so when God now puts, uh, allows Babylon to take Israel captive, and now they have to contend, now, now Nebuchadnezzar has to behave because God has used him as an instrument of judgment. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't behave. What happens to him? They invade his land and take the whole place. You have the Persians, you have the Medes, and all that. Those ones misbehave. You have the, then, you know, succession, succession. And that's how human kingdoms will keep falling until the kingdom of Jesus, set upon righteousness, stands forever and ever. This morning we are looking at, you can have your seat, we are looking at the anointing. And one of the principal functions of the anointing is that it gives you the grace to, can you turn it down a bit, please? It gives you, can you please turn it down a little? Please, thank you. Is that it gives you the grace to, the ability to contend for what God has given you. So God has given us many things. Like I started by saying, God has given us a lot of things in this in this 40-day fasting and prayer. God has given you wealth. God has multiplied things unto us, multiplied grace. Yeah, we have grown in stature. We have grown in grace. We have grown in power. Many utterances have gone ahead of us. I, 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 I have this uh, page that I was writing per day. And the page is so full now that if I have to scroll, you know when you have to scroll and it's, it's a mission. Because I was just doing day one, day two, day. I was writing everything on the same page so that I could follow. Now it's a pain to, to scroll <laughs> that entire page. But it's wonderful because you can always go back and if you decide you want to take a day to just start claiming all the promises and all the pray, and all, praying the prayers again and claiming the words and all that, you can do that. All of that is part of contention. So today we are, we have a lot to do. There is we we need to we are going to do communion. We are going to have an anointing service. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the anointing we are receiving today is to help us to contend for what we have already been given. Many many times, even though we have been given things, the enemy wants to contend. Wants will contend for those things, but. We today, the Lord would empower us to start to walk in the things he has given us, regardless of the enemies, regardless of evil, regardless of the darkness that might seem to sit on that your portion. And you know, I'm going to just... Um, Jude chapter, Jude chapter 1. There's only one verse in Jude anyway. From verse 3. Let me show you one of the reasons why we contend. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So you see here, for example, the fact that the faith has already been delivered. Yet the apostle here is saying, content for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Then verse 4, he says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, 
who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. That means there are people from of old that are ordained unto condemnation. One of those people from, from of old, for example, is Satan himself. And everybody that aligns with him end up being condemned like him. So he says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he starts to go on and says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Let me stop there for you. Okay, let me just read to verse 7. And the angels who kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and all the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, and are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life. So why do we contend? We contend because certain men, certain enemies, always love to creep in on our ears. And not just men, not just the devil, certain things, things always try to creep in on our ears. And when those things creep in on our ears, the, the end result is that they try to wreck that which God has given you to possess. That is why we contend. The apostle is saying, contend for the faith that was delivered to you because certain men will creep in on our ears. Certain things. And start, if you start to now read from that verse 5, it starts to give examples of people that things crept into and what their hand was. Verse 5, it says, Though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land, afterward destroyed them that believed not. So what crept into their lives? Unbelief. What happened? They got destroyed. He gives the second example in verse 6. And the angels we kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He has reserved, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. He then he gives the example of angels. What did the angels do? They rebelled. Rebellion crept into them. And what is their hand? Great judgment. Then he gives the third example in verse 7. Sodom and Gomorrah and cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going over to strange. That means Sodom did not used to be like that. There was a time Sodom was a good city. There was a time Sodom was a nice city. There was a, you could even say, maybe the time that, that they were prospering and Lot was seeing them and they looked like wonderful people, maybe all these things had not even fully crept in at the time. So there was a time where Sodom and Gomorrah were wonderful cities, peaceful, prosperous, enjoying, and all of that. But the day came when things started to creep into them, when fornication crept in when homosexuality crept in, when things started to creep in that ultimately led to God destroying 
these people. So the reason, one of the major reasons we contend is that all the blessings we have received, the goodness of God we have received, the favor we have received, something or someone will try to creep in. And that is the person you must contend against. Do we understand me? Are we still here? So we contend to keep both the results and the tools for achieving results that we have received. For example, if you want to point to results that we have received, we could point to success, wealth as results. But then if you want to talk about tools for success, you point to things like grace, you point to things like wisdom, you point to things like knowledge. So there are many things you receive. You don't only, in prayers, you don't only receive results. You also receive tools to go ahead and actualize other results. So Satan will both fight your results and your resources to go ahead and have more results. Satan is not afraid that you was. You know what they say about rich people? If you have one million in your bank account, are you a rich? Are you a millionaire? Church, Sam, if you have one million pounds in your bank account today, are you a millionaire? What is the definition of a millionaire? If you have one million pounds in your account, are you a millionaire? But are you really a millionaire? If, if you as much as go to Tesco and buy 50p worth of something, what is your what are you still a millionaire? But if somebody has five billion, five million, and buys a house of one million, is he still a millionaire? So the person with one million and five million, they are both millionaires. The only question is the games you can play. You know, the person with five million, there are risky games you can play. The one with one million. One million is not even enough to retire on in this country, seriously. Except maybe you are very old or you've got some things in place. But realistically, if somebody handed you one million today and you say you will retire, you will suffer. By the time... <laughs> Hallelujah. But, 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 for, but if somebody could win 10 million pounds in the lottery and somebody else makes one million of an investment. You might look at their bank accounts and say, the man with the 10 million is richer than the one with the one million. But in five years time, you would actually know who is richer. The one that won the lottery, there's, there's a statistic that says that people that win all these lotteries, millions of pounds, in 10 years, more than 95% of them are broke and on the street. But the one that agreed with investments and made his first one million, there are things he has picked up along the way. He's picked up wisdom. He's picked up resilience. The number of times they have said no to him, he has stopped counting. He has taken it as normal business practice. That people say no is normal. But at the end of the day, everybody has a price. It, it, it depends. You know, there would have been the kind of things that someone like that has picked up. So God has not only given us results. You've asked God for a car. God has rubber-stamped it. Wonderful. But beyond that, God is also giving us, has also given us tools to be able to... You know, there are, le there are levels you get to in life that some things, 
some people's prayer points do not concern you. Okay. Um, this, my friend, for example, if he wants to buy a PlayStation, is it a prayer point for him or not? Is it a prayer point for you? Of all the adults here, who is it that, except you, you might say you want to spend your money another way, but realistically, none of you here can say a PlayStation is a prayer point for If I hear you praying that prayer, I will send you out. <laughs> <laughs> you understand? Why? Because you're, you've grown in, in not just age, you've grown in resources such that it is no longer a prayer point. You said? You've also grown the responsibility that that's probably why you do not have one. <laughs> but realistically speaking, you could buy one if you really, really wanted to. That's the difference in someone that's picked up things along the way. One of the things the anointing does for you is, is it raises your bar when it comes to what you can achieve. The anointing pushes you up a notch in what can happen through you. The anointing, I'm just going to mention a number of things that the anointing does, and then we'll start praying. Number one is that the anointing is empowerment. The anointing is enablement. The anointing is grace to do certain things. The anointing is permission. The anointing is not just somebody pours oil on your head. The anointing is permission to play to, to access certain realms. The anointing is, is authority. The anointing is power. The anointing is, is, is more than, you know, somebody comes and says, I'm going to anoint. Yes, we would anoint, God would anoint ourselves today. But beyond the physical heart, the anointing is, is gives spiritual utterance. The anointing is, 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 the anointing is like utility that is backed by both the will of God, by the authority of God, and the energy of God. The anointing allows you to do what you normally would not be able to do. The anointing came upon Samson. He stood between two pillars and he said he pushed, the Bible says he pushed with all his might and said, Lord, this one last time. You stand with, with this pillar and start pushing. We'll leave you here, we'll come back next Sunday, you'll still be pushing. Because it's not going to go anywhere. But then the anointing came upon a man with the jawbone of an ass, he slew a thousand. Do you know what that means? Whether they were attacking him one by one or they were attacking him together. You know what that means? Someone that didn't have a shield and had only a job, that means he couldn't kill anybody from a distance. He had to kill everybody close range because the jawbone is in his hand like this. So that means all the 1,000 would have to come. One will come with spear, will collect your spear, kill you with your spear, smash you with the jawbone next. So whether you are coming from the side or you are coming, the anointing makes the impossible, makes it possible. What else does the anointing do? What does it do? The anointing causes us to gain spiritual stature. To bring about changes in the spirit that would have physical repercussions. 
suddenly you can declare things, things that you couldn't declare and that you declare before and it doesn't come to pass. Suddenly you can say those things now and they happen. You mention those things and they happen. That is what the anointing does. The anointing also brings you one step closer. Every anointing you receive brings you one step closer to being like God in experience. So the anointing brings you one step closer to being like God in experience. Not just in confession, not just in declaration. <laughs> you know it's interesting. I, I went to a program recently and there were other people there. And one of the people there was saying, so the man of God was preaching and there was wholesome demonstration of the power of God. So the man of God stood in front of our section like this. He was teaching on power and authority. So he, was, he wanted to demonstrate power. So he stood in front of our section. He, did, he said he won't see anything. He just stood there and did like this. And by virtue of him standing there, people that were, the ushers were having to attend to because some people felt this way, some people felt out that way. And afterwards, the person, so the person next to me was not asking him that. Is he using faith? All these things that, the person was curious that, all this demonstration of power that has happened now, is he still using faith? Okay. Do you think the person is still using faith at that point? What is it now? That means at the end of your faith is what? At the end, there are many things that are at the end of our faith. There are many things that we teach at the end of the end of the end. But there are times, there are things that God hands over to you that you become a custodian of. That if they wake you in the middle of your sleep, if I wake you in the middle of your sleep and say, what's your name? Are you going to miss your name? Do you, is it by faith that you know that your name is Tim? How do you know your name is Tim? Because you know that you know that you know that you know you've answered that name all your life. Even the immigration office has called you Tim and you answered. <laughs> so you know your name. There are, so you, can, you get, there are things that the Lord gives, the anointing impacts on your life and the Lord makes you a custodian. Once God makes you a custodian of something, you are no longer walking in faith for that thing. You are walking in the experience of that thing. Of course, there is still the underlining of faith. But if God says, from today I'm putting on you the anointing to um, heal the sick, heal the lame. That every lame man you see, you just go there and pray, I will heal the person. When you go to a, a lame man, when you lay hands and you pray and the person gets healed and you do it again and it happens and you do it again and it happens, the next time you want to do it, are you having faith that it's going to happen? You have started to work in the reality of, the, of, the, of it. Many, when you pray, pray that God takes you beyond the knowledge of something and the faith that you're having for that something to the experience of something. You know, I, I was in the bathroom today, the Holy Spirit was just teaching me that, you know, people say that uh, the power is accessible is knowledge that we don't have. But we need to clarify the kind of knowledge. There is theoretical knowledge. All of you did, many of you did physics. All the things you did in physics, how many of them have you experienced? 
So there is knowledge that is theoretical that we can say this is what God said he would do, this is what God said. When God actually does it in your life or does it through you, the feeling is different. The knowing, there is a knowing that comes from deep within when you experience what God is what God has said it will do. And that is one thing that the anointing does. The anointing starts to bring you into the experience of things. Experience of things. You've heard that God is faithful. The anointing shows you. You've heard that God gives people things. The anointing does that. You've heard that God does makes supernatural things happen in the lives of men. You start to see. Once you enter the experience, nobody argues with anybody's experience. Whether it is um, the good supernatural or the bad supernatural. One of the things that even Satan does is that he gives men experiences that they cannot... It doesn't matter what you say. If, if an angel walks through... If the devil walks through the wall and gives somebody an anointing and says, anytime you want to help somebody, you just say, hey, BC, and the person starts to do it. And you can say what you want, but that person, especially if he comes disguised as the angel of light, and the person does not have the discernment to know that that was the devil, you can preach all you want. You will need something higher than speech to deliver somebody like that. Now you need to bring a greater supernatural experience than that person had to show them that this one you are holding is false. Do we understand? God help us in Jesus' name. What else does the anointing do? What does it do? Mm-hmm. The anointing causes the opening of a new channel in your life for God to flow through. The anointing is also the anointing also causes an upgrade on your capacity and your capabilities. You know, many times people try to use those two um, interchangeably. Sometimes you can, but there's a difference between your capacity and your capability. Your capability refers to the skills you have. Your capacity refers to the level of that skill that you have. So your, your capacity, in a sense, is a measure of your is 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 refers to the measure of your capabilities. For those of us that did student science or did biology, all of us who did bi- all of us. If they say who has done biology before, if you okay, let's do a quick census. If you are, if you did biology in your life, raise up your hand. Okay. But our knowledge of biology, I did the same. So all of us are biologists. You know, people will say, it's funny when you read CVs and they say, I'm computer literate. You are, you are computer literate until a computer whiskey shows up. <laughs> you understand? So in terms of capability, you will say all of us can use a computer. But in terms of capacity, what somebody can do in five minutes some on a computer, some of us like me, might take us six months or never. But the anointing comes and upgrades you both ways. The Bible says the, when the Holy Ghost will teach us all things. So there, you, you both acquire new capabilities and you also expand in your capacity to administer each of the abilities that God has given you. Yes, 
everybody has in a measure you have the healing anointing but then the holy ghost the anointing comes and then increases your measure of the healing anointing the anointing comes increases your measure of the teaching anointing all of us you, you know people say i'm a teacher of the word i'm a teacher of the but <laughs> there are many teachers of the word but people are not made one of the lies is to say that it is the same God we serve. It is true that it is the same God we serve, but we are not on equal footing with that same God. When we get to heaven, the only thing that will come on to all of us is our passport, which is our salvation. After that, you will see levels. You will see levels. Your salvation qualifies you to enter the building. But that your salvation is not everybody in that building will have salvation. That's why that's the basis of why they are here. But some people will be at the high table. Some people will just make it standing by the door. But they will still enter. The Lord help us in Jesus' name. Also, the anointing enlarges your coast naturally and supernaturally. Naturally, the anointing enlarges your coast naturally and supernaturally any anointing that you receive that doesn't affect your physical life in any way check it very well either it is that you are not conducting it properly or you are not using it in a way that benefits you naturally there, there are if, if even if you have received grace for speed for example grace acceleration in life if you the anointing is point, there must be a physical expression of that thing, such that things that will take people um, five years takes you two, so that when people look at your life, they they can over they overestimate your age based on their achievements. They think, okay, this guy has A, B, C, and D. He has achieved C, D, and E. People that normally do things like this are about 45, are about 42. So they look at you and say, yeah, it's probably around that day. And then they find out that you are how many years? You are 31. <laughs> you understand? They find out you are 31. What has happened is that God has... So you, you know, many times if you stop to think of your life, you will be grateful. That certain things that have happened in your life, you, you might maybe see people and you like, hmm. This was how long it took them to get here. But yet, yet, here you are. There is an anointing that has been working, working to compress time for you so that you can achieve more in less time. Also, the anointing is God's endowment on a man that he has favored. When God favors you, he puts an anointing on you. When God has marked you for grace, when God has marked you for favor, he puts an anointing on you. Also, like I said, the anointing is more than just oil. The anointing is essentially God himself projected through a man. So that God's results are achieved in and through that man. I'll say that again. The anointing is more than oil. It is God himself projected in and through a man such that that man now starts to achieve God-like results. 
such that if it was Jesus that laid hands to do that thing that you are doing, whatever results Jesus would have achieved, that is what you achieve. So the anointing opens you up for a greater influx of God. You ha- yes, we, it's not like the, there's extra Holy Spirit somewhere else apart from the one you've received. You have received the entire full, complete package. But the anointing opens you up to a greater expression of that which you have received. You understand? It's always there. The potential, it is there. The the entirety of the Holy Ghost lives inside you. You have not received one quarter. And that when you get to heaven, you receive the remaining three quarters. No, you have received the fullness of the Spirit of God. But the expression of that fullness is limited by our vessels. So as as the Lord increases the anointing and the grace upon you, you start to express that person of the Holy Ghost more. You start to conform more to the image of the Christ. In, for example, James five, it talks of is anybody sick amongst you? What does this they should do? Uh, call the elders. Let them anoint him. Said, let them anoint him with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. So the oil comes on the sick. And suddenly, because the oil is more than oil, is is also a person. Then that person has to has to now show the results of the anointing, such that if the anointing comes upon you and the person and the person of the Holy Ghost overshadows you, the fact because the Holy Ghost Himself cannot fall sick, you have to conform to the person that has possessed you now, which is the Holy Ghost. Which means if you are sick. When the anointing came, the anointing has to change your conformation such that you look like the God that cannot be sick. So the anointing cannot come upon you. The anointing for some once the anointing of something comes upon you, you must be changed. You have to be changed. You know, Dad was reading about Saul. Was it yesterday? Uh, what Samuel said. So he said, when you meet this one, you meet you meet this prophet and all that, you will be turned into a new man. It is impossible for the anointing to come upon you and there is no change. It is impossible. So the anointing is also for a consecration for special purposes. If you look, let's quickly read uh, Exodus chapter. I'm just trying to rush through the, Exodus 28. Exodus 28, verse 41. Um, he said, And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shall anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. So the anointing is also for consecration. The anointing is also for saying, This patch of land, this person, belongs to God. It is saying this 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 zone is God's zone. This soul is God's own. This thing I have, whether whether it is a camera or a light or whatever it is this belongs to God. Therefore God is expressed the, the the name of the Lord is upon it the life of God is upon it and it is not for carnal it is not for other uses no matter how genuine your need is 
It doesn't matter how broke you are. You cannot spend the tithe. Why? Because God's name is on it. God called that portion his own. So you cannot spend it. So when you, once the anointing comes upon things, you can you don't not just on human beings. The anointing you you can anoint your house, you can anoint your car, such that you are marking your territory to say all of this. The name of God has been put upon it, and Satan, you have no room in this yard. Do we understand? And then also, it, oh, I said that it's not only men that it's not only men that can be anointed. You can also anoint things. Exodus forty eleven, Leviticus eight verse ten. Also, the anointing is a way of propagating spiritual realities and priesthood across generations. You see this in Exodus forty verse fifteen. Let's quickly read that. Exodus 40, verse 15. And thou shalt anoint them as thou didst anoint their father, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office, for the anointing shall shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generation. He says the anointing will be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. So there is an anointing that comes. The anointing propagates priesthood from generation to generation. It's why you see, maybe you see a father lay hands on the son, and then the son also lay hands on his son, and there's a transference of power, of priesthood, of grace, of anointing. Maybe when the father received it, he fasted 90 days and humbled himself, and then God gave him that speciality, and he just comes and lays hands on his son and says, Son, receive. And then son starts bouncing in, in, in the anointing that he didn't work for. And if that son becomes arrogant, now you know, one day the Lord said to me, he said, many of the things you will have or you will receive would be because of the labors of your father. So I always remind myself, like, chief, <laughs> some people have worked for so many of these things, so, and it's, it's, it's an early warning so that when those things start to show their faces, I don't come and say, hey, I fasted and prayed. Does it mean I don't fast? No, I still fast. I still pray. But how old am I? There are sacrifices that someone like that has done that are older than me. So to not acknowledge that people that there is there are people whose sacrifices God looks at when he wants to have mercy on you is is the is grounds for foolishness grounds for pride grounds for arrogance there are all of us here there are many times when God wants to have mercy on you he doesn't look at your bad behavior <laughs> he looks at the prayer of your mother sometimes he looks at the prayer of your father because your father is a good man. Let me have mercy on this poor child. It's not every time. If you, if you now, because if you ever get to that point where you think that everything you have and you have received that because of your 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 righteousness, you have you that you've done fasting, fasting, forty days fasting and prayer, and now you are feeling powerful, and you now think that everything you get afterwards is because you fasted. 
the, the like they say the demon that will beat you is still doing press up when he finishes <laughs> when he finishes he already has your home address it's just exercise when he's ready he'll come and find you so most importantly the anointing is a person and i kept that last the anointing is a person more than an endowment more than many other many of the things that i've said earlier there are cons there are consequences there are give they are gifts they are acts of the person but the anointing the holy spirit himself the anointing of god is a person acts chapter 10 verse 38 how god anointed jesus of nazareth with the Holy Ghost. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. And then he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. So the anointing essentially, in summary, it's, it's the Holy Ghost expressing himself through you. So when you say, Lord, anoint me for this, Lord, anoint me for this, the other, other side of that prayer that you should pray is that, help me to open myself up enough for you to be able to do certain things. You know, the Lord was, was dealt with a, a demon-possessed man. The disciples went to him and said, Why couldn't we do that? Friends, this one does not go out except by fasting and praying. That means fasting and praying puts you in a place where the Holy Ghost can do that kind of work through you. There is nobody... You cannot practice Christianity like the average believer and expect to get above average results. It's not going to happen. You cannot, you cannot do things the way people do things. And it's not just a spiritual principle. It is also a principle that applies on, on every aspect of the human life. Academics... The guy that finished with first class in your, in your class, how was he reading? How was he studying? How was his attendance in lectures like? How was... It's always and good and be, that you are beefing the guy because he's happy with his first class and he's put, put, putting it in your face. But... but, but we <laughs> Hallelujah. So the degree to which you allow the Holy Ghost to express himself in you is the degree to which you will show forth the mighty works of Jesus. It is the Holy Ghost that does those things, period. Even when the Holy Ghost gives you, what happens is that as we grow in grace and we grow in the anointing and we grow in power and we grow in the expression of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost now starts to hand you the key to certain things. Such that maybe before you need to say, Lord, can I, uh, Lord, uh, is it your, do you want to, would you please heal this person or would you please do these things for this person? Then you get to a point where God, the Holy Ghost hands you the key to that thing such that you don't need to pray 
before you're able to do that thing. But if you now think that because you don't need to pray before you do it, you are the custodian, you will be shocked. You know, that's what happened to Samson. Samson got to a point in his life where he didn't feel, he didn't, he didn't, he stopped thinking, he stopped acknowledging the fact that it was his Nazarite consecration that enabled him to do certain things. So Samson started to disregard his Nazarite because he would do it. Then he would go and be powerful. Then he would go back and, and, and violate his Nazarite thingy again. And God that be powerful. So he got to that point where he didn't realize that it was his Nazarite vows that was powering the commitment of the Holy Ghost to him. And, and you know, he did it for a season. He was getting away with it. Then until he violated the final. You must not mix with foreign, foreign women. He had, he had his feel of all of them. Don't drink wine. It wasn't something you were talking to. He, he kept doing it. Until he kept, he, you know what, what he did was that he kept cutting the cords such that by the time they eventually cut his head, there was nothing left of his Nazarite vow that he had not violated. So it's like, let's say his Nazarite vows had about five strands uh, don't sleep around, avoid strong drink, don't cut your hair. Um, what else? The Nazarites. Um, anyway, whatever the Naz- I can't remember them now. There were about three or four things or so that, as a Nazarite, it was not it was to do or it was to do or not to do. So he, he had va- the rest of them. He had violated all of them already. So he had cut all the strands. The only the only strand of commitment left was his hair that he had not. Cut. So when he cut that one, there was no other. There was nothing else to tie the Holy Ghost down. If you, maybe if he wasn't drinking wine and sleeping with all the foreign women, maybe if he cut his hair, there will be some Holy Ghost left. By va- the Holy Ghost would maybe have the excuse of he's not been drinking wine and he has not been violating his own body to stay. But everything, he just, he, he just took a knife and a digger to it that was just uprooting every consecration until he did the final one. And the Holy Ghost said, okay, there's nothing, here, there's nothing else in his life. He became an ordinary man because ordinary men did not have the commitment from the Holy Ghost that he had. So he just, it's, it's not that something fell. It's that something became normal. And normal people are not difficult for Philistines to crush because Philistines themselves are supernatural people. So they, they, they came at him with they didn't come at Samson with just words of mouth and all that. They came at him supernaturally. Unfortunately for him, they met him in his natural state. And the first thing they did was, let's pluck his eyes. So that even if his strength returns, if you want to kill 1,000 people, you have to see them first, don't you? So one of the signs... One of the signs that, that the, a violation of the anointing is happening is that men start to lose spiritual sight. You now start to see associations that you'll be like, hmm, this one won't end well. You start to see, you start to see shades of sleeping. You know, it, 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 walking with God is, I don't want to call it a tight rope, but it's a narrow road. 
So when you see somebody walking a road and they are stepping their legs into the bush and then they come back to the road, it is a sign that the person is not seeing properly. When you start to see people not seeing properly, it is a sign that there is a violation of commitment to God in one way or the other. And I'm going to read maybe about two more passages and we will finish. Isaiah 61 verse 1. Isaiah 61 verse 1. <coughs> says, The Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. This itself is an entire sermon. But let me just lay emphasis on a few things and then we'll finish. It says, The Spirit of, of the Lord God is upon me because, underline because. So the reason that the Spirit was upon Jesus, because this, the Lord Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. He himself, he himself, when he went to the temple, this was a passage they gave him to read. And the Bible says they gave him the parchment and he opened it and went straight there. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. That means if he wasn't anointed, the Spirit of the Lord would not have rested. And it says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. So the Spirit came because of the anointing. That is to say you have to be anointed to express certain dimensions of God. You have to be anointed to contend. You know, we started by talking about contention. You have to be anointed to contend in certain areas. You know, I said the anointing is authority, is power. You have to be, you have to have the clearance to fight certain battles. The, you, okay, but, even, but even though we say this, thing, sometimes people say, okay, why is it that if, if it's true that you cannot go and contend with princes and principalities unless God has increased your spiritual ranking and you can do all of that, how come that, that how come that these principalities have not destroyed us? All of them, regardless of even Satan himself, is bound by the boundaries of God. It doesn't matter that yes, Satan normally Satan should be able have you not heard about that Satan normally should be able to snap his finger and wipe a city. You you don't think he's that powerful. You don't think Satan is powerful enough to do that. You don't think so? Does anybody think so? If Satan, if God gave Satan permission to wipe London, do you think he won't do it? You think he won't do it? So why won't he do it? Even though he can do it. Because there is a law. It doesn't, even, the, even the wickedness of Satan has boundaries. And when God says, Satan, you can't, in the life of this person, it, you've read the story of Job. When God, God, well, at every point where Satan was trying to do whatever he wanted to do, God was drawing like that. Okay. You can do whatever nonsense you want to do, but do not touch the man's life. You think if God didn't say don't touch him, you think Satan won't kill him. Satan would have killed him. So, so, so that the world would be like, ah, that man served God every day. Look at his hand. Satan would have killed him so that there would be no chance to redeem that story. But God said, Mm-mm. Here's a line. it doesn't matter how much Satan is 
showing himself in your life and trying to bully you and trying to do certain things, know that he has boundaries. Sometimes Satan crosses his boundaries when children of God do not understand the fact that he has he is supposed to have boundaries. You know, it's like you know it's like children. When you say don't touch that thing, what are they going to do? They are going to touch it to see what you will do. If they touch it and you don't do anything, the next time you say don't touch it, what will they do? They will take it and smash it on the floor. Every time you do not draw lines for Satan and say, Mr. Man, this is my neighborhood, this is my house, this is my family, this is my home, is out of bounds. And you do not watch your lines. Satan, that's why the Bible says watch and pray. The Bible doesn't just say pray. Watch and pray. The reason you watch is because Satan, even when he doesn't have the legal rights to do things in your life, he, he still, he, he, he's always testing the waters. To see if you are alive in the spirit. Satan would always test the waters. To, to test the boundaries to see if you are watching. And if you are not watching. Then he sneaks in through the back door. Or he comes in. Sows his seeds and runs away. If you are not a Christian that doesn't watch. Will just be concerned at how the devil is just finding pockets of space. You're like a footballer that you don't know how to defend. And you are wondering how they are scoring goals. By virtue of your inadequacy at what you say you know how to do, the proof that you are not doing your job properly is that they are scoring goals. So many times when Satan finds a way, as when we finish dealing with him, also sit down and say, by the way, how did he get it? Because if many children, this is why deliverance is both a good and a dangerous subject. It is all well and good casting out demons from people. But there are people that before you cast the demon out, the demon will leave. And the reason the demon left is because the demon doesn't want to go through the torture. The demon will just go and wait at home. So you cast demons out of people, but you do not equip them on how to shut the door. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was teaching and said, when a demon is cast out, what does he do? He first go because he must obey you. So the demon goes, goes into dry places and starts to look for another place. When he doesn't find, what does he do? He says, oh, let me go and check my whole house. He has, when you say, get out of Jesus, did he not go? Did he not obey? So he has obeyed. He has finished the obedience. And then he comes back and says, let me even check my whole house. The Bible says if he comes and finds the place furnished, how does he know that the place is furnished? Because the door is open. So man walks in, realizes, ah, hey, they've cleaned out. You know, there's no way Satan will come into somebody's life and not make a mess. But now the Holy Ghost comes and we kick Satan ass and we clean up the mess. And the place is looking beautiful. But then Jesus is not enthroned. And the person is not equipped with the knowledge to stay free. So the demon comes back and says, Huh, this place is so nice. The Bible doesn't say he sits down. The Bible says he will, he will go back out. Go and find seven more wicked demons than himself. You know, one of the measures of, of, of spiritual stature is humility. The most powerful people also happen to be the, some of the most humble people. 
Humility is one of the measures. It's not just that you lay hands on wheelchair people and they get up and start. When we get to heaven, you will see people that didn't do any miracles. Billy Graham didn't do miracles. How many millions of souls did he bring into the kingdom? <laughs> but he didn't do. You will not go to the Billy. Crippled and blind people don't go to Billy Graham crusade expecting. But they will be saved. They will be saved. So if you, if we use um, miracle, miracles are wonderful and they happen and they will continue to happen. But you, those are not the yards. The yardstick is confirmation to the person of Christ. How much are you looking like Jesus every day? It's not how much fire you call. It's not how much, you know, like that. And, it, and the way there are, there are metrics to check, to, to measure growth in the spiritual. Because as you go in higher things and God starts to show you things, you will be humble. It is, you know, it's people that have seen little, little, little that know how to shout. People that have seen the depths of God would have seen both the goodness and the severity of God. If you have seen the severity of God one time, you will be the most humble person you know. Because you have seen things that many other people have not seen. Or conversely, in the kingdom of darkness, they measure ranking by how much wickedness you, you are capable of. This, so the demon goes, find seven more wicked spirits than himself. says, ah, I found us an abode. Knowing fully well that in that company is going to be the least, they might end up kicking him out. Yes. Spiritual. Spiritual. There is no, you must understand that there is no iota of love anywhere in the kingdom of darkness. The, the only thing that unites them in the kingdom of darkness is their common hatred for God. But So even though they, all of them hate God, they still are not friends or mates. If you remove their common hatred for God and children of God in the kingdom of darkness, they have no, it will scatter because there is nothing else that holds that kingdom together except that they want to fight God. So they might even kick out the small demon, but the issue is that the seven demons that came in, they are going to be worse. The Bible says the end of that person is going to be worse than the beginning. So when you want to cast out demons out of people, also have plans to teach them how they can be free. Otherwise, the demon that will enter that person will throw them from upstairs, downstairs, the day you are not there. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. So the spirit came because of the anointing, and you have to be anointed to express certain dimensions of God. So, you know, even the Lord Jesus didn't do any miracles until he was anointed. All those stories that, you know, there are some funny books that have funny stories that when, you know, there are, you know, there are books with some funny stories that when Jesus was about 12 years old or so, he was playing with his friends one day and they were making birds that could fly, birds out of sand. And then when Jesus made his own bird, he just picked it up and threw it up and the bird became alive out of mud. You know, they made birds out of mud and then Jesus' own bird came alive and flew away. And 
and you know nonsense like that. Jesus did no miracles until the Holy Ghost came. So you ourselves we must ask for today we would ask for an, another feeling of the Holy Spirit. And I must say that Satan will not run from you because you carry the anointing. Satan will run from you because you know how to use that anointing. Because many of us have deposits in our lives that Satan is not afraid of. Hmm. You, all of us know this scenario. Jesus went to John and baptized me. Ah, no, it's you that you should be baptizing me. Jesus says, suffer to me. So now, so John baptizes Jesus. And the Bible says, as he's coming out of the water, the heavens open, the Holy Ghost descends as a dove upon him. And the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved son, whom I'm, I'm well pleased. And the next thing, the Holy Ghost leads Jesus. The Bible says the Holy Ghost led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. So the purpose, the first leading of the Holy Ghost in the life of Jesus was enter the bush. Let Satan come and test you. And when Satan was going to die, the first question was, if you are the son of God, command this stone. Are you hungry? He says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. The very first test that Satan brought to Jesus was a test of the sonship. Knowing fully well that all of us heard 40 days ago when the Lord said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Satan can say, If you are the son of God, show us. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. As God said, knowing fully well that God said, so Satan was not afraid of the you know you know the Bible says that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost without measure. Yes, Satan was one <laughs> you know those tests those 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 um tests are always very funny to me. Carries him to the top of the of the of the temple. The same Jesus that is busting with Holy Ghost. Satan was not afraid of the fire Jesus was carrying. You think because you have done 40 days now, Satan will run from you. Sorry, tomorrow morning Satan is waiting for you. Just know, tomorrow morning, he, all the fire you have on your head is waiting. Because it doesn't matter what is the use of a machine gun in the hand of a two-year-old. What is the use of a sword in the hands of somebody that has not proven it? What's the use? What's this? I've told the story of a man that was anointed so much that they will always take him everywhere to to once he enters a care home like this and he lays hands on everybody, he will empty the care home, everybody will go home. The man eventually died I think he did I don't think he made forty. And he, at the point he died, he had already told everybody that God was was a waste of his time. So he's probably in hell anyway. And yet this was somebody that you know, how many of you have somebody you've heard somebody else sick and you'll be going in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name? This one will just lay hands and that was just, he got they said he got born again, and I think about the second day he could lay hands and it was just a special like I'm just going to give you this special. And one of the reasons the Holy Ghost did that for him was because his father was an alcoholic and a drunkard and all these things. So it was it was not just that he found healing. That God now made him a conduit for healing because of what he suffered growing up as a child. But unfortunately, it went sideways. 
So, you know, yeah, so Satan was not afraid of that. Satan is not afraid of the fact that you have fire on your head. You can see that what Satan is afraid of is that you are able to use what you have. You've been receiving grace. You have been receiving endowment. Are you using them? What you make of those things is what Satan fears, not just the fact that you have those things. And so that Isaiah 61, the Spirit came to fulfill the reason why Jesus came. And you can start to read, or if you like, if you go home, you can do a study of Isaiah 61, 1 to 7. It says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's, those are talking of victims of circumstances. It says, He has come, have, uh, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's talking of casualties of war and, and life and all that. It says, He has to open the prison to them that are bound. You are talking of those that are suffering from the sin and its effects of sin and all that. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You are talking of divine timing coming for people. You are talking to proclaim the day of vengeance. You are talking of judgment of people that have opposed God. You are talking of um, comforting those that are mourning. You are talking of a change of season. And if you go to verse 4, it says they shall build the whole waste. This is now talking of what the, the things that the anointing does in the life of people. It says they, are, they shall build the old waste. Rebuilding, they raised places of former desolations, restoration, place, repaired the waste cities and desolations of many generations. So the anointing comes, starts to repair, starts to restore, starts to regenerate, starts to glorify. And if any suffering of man is captured in one of the sentences in this Isaiah 61, 1 verse 7, so you can become the answer to the prayers of men when the anointing comes upon you. Just rise up on your feet wherever you are. The anointing is always for a reason. The anointing is always for a reason. God does not anoint men for the sake of anointing them. The anointing is always for a reason. And sometimes when we say, Lord, anoint me, Lord, anoint me, sometimes God comes and says, the one I anointed you last time, what did you do with it? So uh, we are going to start our prayers today and say, Lord, anoint us afresh. Just begin to speak to the Lord this morning and just ask him to anoint you afresh. Maybe we've been anointed at some point and we've lost it. We've been anointed at some point and we did nothing about and we, we wasted it. Maybe the grace for something came, the, the resources for something came, and it didn't work. You didn't work it, you didn't do anything about it. Just say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Anoint me afresh. Anoint me afresh. Anoint me afresh. Anoint me afresh for signs and wonders. Anoint me afresh. Ask the Lord to restore every lost anointing. Ask the Lord to reactivate every lost anointing. Ask the Lord to anoint us afresh. Not just to restore lost things, but also to add the ones that we do not currently have. Ask for an expansion of your capacity. Ask for an expansion of your capabilities in God. Ask for an expansion of grace. You know, like we've been praying this this these 40 days, all these things that the Lord has done, they must translate into physical results. They must translate into things we can, we can point to in our, in our daily lives. That ask, 
that the anointing that helps you to contend until you lay hold. The anointing that causes man, us to contend until we lay hold. The anointing that helps us to contend until we lay hold. The anointing that helps us to contend until we lay hold. The anointing that causes us to keep going, keep going until we lay hold on that which the Lord has already given us. Many things that God has given you, and the ones you remember, just start to mention, Lord, I know you have given me grace. I know that you have given me wisdom. I know you have made way for me. But I also know that when there is a way, also there are children, many times there are children of Anak waiting. Every time the Lord announces that he's going to do, that he is doing something new in your life, you can expect Satan to try to do something about what the Lord has said. But ask for the anointing this morning, the anointing that breaks every yoke. The anointing that shatters every counsel of hell. The anointing that allows you to run through a troop. The grace that anoints allows you to leap over walls. Are we praying this morning? Receive grace. Receive unction. Receive power. Receive grace. Ask that as we are going to be anointed this morning, the anointing will come upon us in a new way. Make it impossible possible make giving us wisdom the anointing will teach us to be able to contend the anointing will teach us to be able to contend they are not to be able to teach us how to contend it is not everything that will still we have been prayed for it's not everything that will still require another round of prayer some things will require worship some things will require declaration some things would require enforcement. Some things will require wisdom. Some things will require coming in contact with men. Ask that in the name of Jesus, the anointing that will teach us to know how to bring to in our reality, the anointing that will teach us to bring into our experience everything we have received. In the name of Jesus. Holy Father, in the in Jesus' name we pray. Is there a, a, a part of your life that you want God to give you the grace to prosecute? There's a part of your life that you are trusting God for increased grace. Ask him this morning. Say, Father, I receive special grace. I receive special grace. I receive special grace. A master is strong in everything. But many times you would also see that a master has a specialty. He's not a novice in everything. He has a decent amount of ability everywhere. But there is always something that you know a master with. Say, Father, I receive grace for certain... Yes, especially if you have identified areas that the Lord wants you to to function in as a giant in the spirit. Just ask God for an anointing in that area. See, an anointing that elevates 
me in this area, an anointing that elevates me in this area, in the name of Jesus, an anointing that elevates us, Rupert, of Caesar, as your people ask, Father, you do. Mahato zikatabrando skuza zeliberito zeketegelizu rumbrehito skizambarato krehito skubana jekatozo marito velata andeleto siabra rendo skita yegelizu reto shata libonda jebarato skutubra rodo shete librehando skiza laboroshka Linde de Zusa, Lika Zume. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's sing this song. in Jesus breaks the yoke. By the Holy Ghost and power, just like the prophets were. This is the day of the latter rain. God is moving in his bar again. By the anointing, Jesus praises you. Can we sing with a bit more life, please? This is the day of the latter rain. God is moving in his power again. By anointing, Jesus brings the Hallelujah. We are going to have the communion first. Can you just pause it for a minute? Let everybody be given their bread and their wine. If you have collected your bread and your wine, open your mouth and pray. Just begin to pray along as we get Let it rest upon my life. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just lift up our hands as we begin the anointing service quickly in the name of Jesus. Just lift up your right hand as we begin the anointing service in the name of Jesus. Rembrotos is a labrahantos ki benatus, Zeketu brahantos katos is a labaratos kibra, Madoz is If there's something specific you are trusting God for, this is the time in the name of Jesus. Rebroto shantele com brahato veletos yaba, Jacotabos is a little brandos kita, Yekotoskia. If there's something you are trusting God for this way. You know, people had a lot of testimonies um, this week that we just handed. Just has that this week you would have testimonies, things that would blow your mind, things that would completely be. I don't know. Well, how big can you trust God for something? What? How big is what you are trusting God for? If you don't think it's big enough, it, you know, things your demands must let them be big enough because you have a big God. And just ask that in the name of Jesus. Rotali gatos ketegiliambaras ketu karabo shambrahatos kizo. Redo velatos kabrotos keta yabaras ketizinantabara tosiaba. Jebreto veletos kiaborota hikatos ka redos katose. Jebaratos ki venatos kuta ye katos. Lift up your right hand. Lift up your right hand as we pray. Lift up your right hand as you pray. Redosha paratosia kretos ben. Lift up your right hand. Rekota lige doze zalibrotoskiza. Redosketa likoski venaila brandoshketazan. Roteshokataila baratosia kados. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Holy Father. Lift up this oil unto you. This is just oil. This is just oil. But as we anoint ourselves with oil, this oil this morning, this afternoon, anoint us afresh. The grace to contend. David was a king. David was a priest. David was a prophet. David was a psalmist. The grace to represent you in every facet of life. That spiritually will be giants. In the business world will be giants. In economic settings will be giants. In academics will be giants. There will be no side of our lives that, the, that, would, that will remain small. That like Abraham, you see the scripture says of Abraham that he, you blessed him in every way. In the name of Jesus, let the anointing make up for every deficiency. Deficiency in understanding, deficiency in knowledge, deficiency in strength, deficiency in resources, deficiency in money, deficiency in men, deficiencies in helpers, deficiencies in people we can lean on. Every deficiency the anointing takes away this morning in the name of Jesus. We are marvelously helped. We are marvelously helped. We are marvelously helped. 
in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 